Welcome to the Pathway Podcast. This episode kicks off a new series at Pathway called The Power of God. Lead pastor Jeremy Flanagan explores the story of Job. He challenges us to remember the power of God even when we experience tragedy and difficult seasons. Stay tuned after the sermon to hear this week's next steps. There can't have been a better time than when as a staff that we sat down back in December and January and started planning out what is our you know, theme going to be, our overall theme for you know, fall 2020 and spring 2021 when we came up with the theme of Persist. And, and that's something that we all have to think about and struggle with all the time is how do we get through this world, a world filled with difficulties, a world uh, you know, where things are thrown at us all the time, and how do we persist? How do we stay strong? In the face of difficult things? How do we keep moving forward in the face of obstacles? How do we stay you know, true to our faith in the middle of things that could shake us to our core? And so that idea of persisting is what we're going to be talking about this year. In the last month, we've been talking about some of those elements. And persisting is not simply holding on to the end of a rope so you don't let go. That, that's not it. That's not the life God wants us to have right? There are times that that's all we can do, okay? There are times that simply holding on to the end of a rope and not letting go, that's all we can muster right now. Uh, But it's more than that. And so we've been saying kind of the three elements that we want us to adopt in the idea of how to persist as believers is that we need to believe who God is. If we don't believe who God is, if we don't have that foundation, if we don't find strength in who God is, it's going to be really hard for us to stay strong. We need to believe who he is, and we need to remember what he has done. Remembering what God has done allows us to to think about the good times, understand better the bad times, and know that they will pass. It helps us to see how God has provided and helped others, and if we'll think about it, how he's also helped us. And if we remember what he's done through those good days and difficult days, it'll give us hope for the future. And then the last thing is believe what he has done or believe in who God is, remember what he has done and then celebrate what he will do. We need to always be people who celebrate, who t- look at what God has given us even in the hard days and thank him for it, sing praises to him, tell others about him, and even when we are facing tough times, find ways to thank God for who he is. And so if we do those things, if we figure out how to do those three things, it'll help us stay strong. It'll help us persist even during the the hard times. And so the series we're going to do this month is starting off looking at that, at believing who God is. And so we're going to talk about the power of God. Because throughout all of Scripture, whether it's Jesus bringing someone back from the dead, I mean, the ultimate thing, right? Uh, I mean, you've got Red Sea parting, supernatural things happen. But really, Jesus bringing someone back to life, that's that's as powerful as it gets. Uh, whether it's that, whether it's Jesus' apostles and, and other disciples performing miracles, or whether it's these Old Testament stories about God doing supernatural things to provide for his people or to protect the nation of Israel. All of these stories of power that you look at in Scripture were usually done, especially in the New Testament, to prove that God is who he says he is, that he can do what he says he can do, and to believe in the nature of and the power of the Lord that we worship. And so as we look at this series, and we look at five messages talking about the power of God, 
we're going to focus on some Old Testament stories. We're going to focus on some things that really show God doing some amazing feats, overcoming, you know, his own supernatural, you know, his own natural law that he set up with his supernatural power, doing things that nobody could deny were the hand of God. And in those days, all of these stories where God does something amazing to provide for people, it's easy to see why they would believe in him. So we're going to start today with the opposite. What happens when God is withholding his power? Do we still believe? Are we still strong? You know, I'm afraid that some of us look at God like that friend that maybe, you know, you've taken advantage of, or maybe you were that person who got taken advantage of. You know, as a kid, when I was younger, especially you hit, you know, those double digits and get into those early teenage years, and I just wanted everybody to like me, right? I wanted people to like me. You want to be popular. You want everyone to think you're a great person. And so you're super nice to people. You try and be funny, but not so funny that you're annoying. You try to, you know, say the right thing, wear the right thing. You watch what the popular people do, and you copy it. Uh, and then, you know, you try and do nice things for people. Or maybe, you know, hey, we're at a basketball game, so we'd, I'd buy, hey, you don't have money, I'll buy you a Coke. I'll do something nice for you. Please just hang out with me and be my friend, right? And uh, those days, you know, I wore through those pretty quick. Number one, I didn't have a lot of money. Number two, I was cheap. Uh, but number three, I figured out real quick that as long as you were doing nice things for people, they might hang around you. But if that stopped and they stopped... Number one, they weren't your friend, and it probably actually wasn't the kind of person I wanted to be friends long-term with anyway. But we do that to God. I mean, we do that to God when things are going well. We praise Him, and when things aren't going well, we just kind of drift away. When things are going great and the power of God, we feel it evident in our lives, then we're happy to say we're His followers and tell other people about Him. But when it seems like God's turned his back on us, or that's how we feel, right? We don't deserve what's happening right now, or God should have bailed me out of this already, or, or these other people have been, you know, frustrating to me, and God should have stepped in. When those things are happening in our life, we're like that friend who enjoys the Coke that you get us, and then when that's gone, we go hang out with the people we really like. And so we don't need to treat God that way. And it happens throughout our lives. I mean, I've been married 20-plus years, and I realize I'm mostly kept around kill spiders and to reach things on tall shelves. And so, you know, we all have the propensity to find those things that we want from people and to accept those things, and that's what we're looking for, right? I have a few more, you know, endearing traits, but really it's probably those two that keeps me around. So what do we look at, how do we view God when things are going bad and we want him to change it, we want him to step in and show his power? And he says... Not right now. He says, not right now. Because that's the story of Job. The story of Job is that story. And if you've never read the book of Job, we're going to read it. 42 chapters. But just small parts of it. But I'm going to tell you the story of Job today. And hopefully in a quick enough way that we get through it. But still glean that idea of what do we do when God says no. And more importantly, when other people around us are discouraging us from keeping strong in our faith in God. Whether it be Job's wife, who tells him to curse God and die, we'll see that in a moment, or whether it be Job's friends, who must represent God and make accusations of Job that start getting him so frustrated that he takes it out not only on them, but on God himself. See, we can go through such rough periods in life that 
those around us either say, throw your hands up and forget this whole God thing. It's not working out for you. Or people are either, whether they're judgmental or whether they're just bad friends or whether they just don't know and they misrepresent God and that causes tension. Either way, it's tough to stay strong. So let's jump into it. Job chapter 1, verse 1 through 5. Job was a very wealthy guy. Job was somebody whose life was going great for him. It says, There once was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity, and he feared God and stayed away from evil. Of course, he was a sinner, but he was a good guy, right? I mean, he really did good with what he had. In verse 2, he had seven sons, three daughters. Then in verse 3, he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, 500 female donkeys. He also had many servants. He was, in fact, the richest person in that entire area. Verse 4, Job's sons would take turns preparing feasts and homes, and they would also invite their three sisters to celebrate with them. When these celebrations ended, sometimes after several days, Job would purify his children. He would then get up early in the morning, offer a burnt offering for each of them. For Job said to himself, Perhaps my children have sinned and have cursed God in their hearts. And this was Job's regular practice. Not that he even knew that his kids had sinned or done anything bad. I mean, they just had like two, three days of hanging out and feasting and having this great time. But he's like, I'm just going to sacrifice to God anyway. Just because I like to get ahead of things. I mean, life is going great. I've got all this wealth, all this security. So much so that me and my family, what did I say, regularly? They, they get together all the time. They take turns preparing feasts in their homes. They got downtime to just hang out and just celebrate and enjoy life. And doesn't that sound good? And that's what we all want, right? Is everything is going so great that we've just got all this time that we can just take off and just celebrate life. It's just going great. I mean, unless, you know, you may look at it and your family is a little... So you're like spending two to three days hanging out with them, not so much. Well, Job's family was all getting along. Wouldn't you like that? I mean, he had a lot of money and everything else, but he had the ability to to spend time worshiping God and spend time doing all that. And I think we get caught up in this trap where we think to ourselves, well, if my life was going that well, and if things were that easy, and if I had that kind of security, if I had that kind of wealth and that kind of space and that kind of margin, well, sure, I'd worship God. And I would worship him more than I'm worshiping him now. I would follow him more than I'm following him now. Things would be better for me, so then obviously I would turn around and things between me and God would be better as well. Well, let me tell you, life, experience, the Bible, history, all of that proves that that is not really true. Okay? Just because we have more margin and space doesn't mean we're going to spend it on God. Job did, though, which shows how great of a guy he was. His extra time, his extra wealth. He spent some of it worshiping God when there wasn't even a a reason to do it. Just sacrificing on the sake of his family. Thanking God, praying to God, asking God for blessing. And so he had a blessed life. Now in verse 6 we have a, a kind of a strange scene in the Bible where it talks about things and the workings of heaven and, and the spirit realm where the devil actually comes to kind of make accusations against God's people, against people on earth. We don't know exactly how everything works, all right? If anyone wants to tell you exactly how things work between God and Satan and exactly what Satan's powers are and what they aren't and all of that, they don't know. We just don't have that much information. But in this passage, what we do have 
In verse 6, it says, One day the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser, Satan, came with them. It almost seems like almost a business meeting. Big, long table, God at the front. I mean, it just that's always the picture I get in my mind. Where have you come from, the Lord asked Satan. Satan answered the Lord, I've been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. Then the Lord asked Satan, Have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man on all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. Satan replied to the Lord, Yes, but Job has good reason to fear God. You have always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. You have made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. But reach out and take everything away that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. All right, you may test him, the Lord said to Satan. Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's presence. Now, here's a few things. Here's what we do know, here's what we don't know. All right, what we do know is that God is all-powerful. He's omnipresent everywhere all the time. Omnipotent, all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing. He's all of those things. He's all, all, all. Satan is none of those. He is... A spirit being just like God created him with finite abilities and everything else, although they are great. Satan and the other angels that were cast out of heaven that now that we call, you know, the devil and demons and everything else, they were given great power and ability by God to minister to God's creation and to minister in the way God wanted. And so they have ability to do things. We don't know exactly what, but... They can't overrule God. Now, here when you see this story, people read this story and say, well, God just threw Job out there. And trust me, when Satan's in the room, I would rather God just keep my name off his lips. Because he mentions Job, and Satan's like, I'll show you. I'll show you that he really doesn't love you that much. What he loves is what you've done for him. And Satan's got a good point, because a whole lot of humanity, including us at times, prove him right. We believe in God, we love God, we worship God when we feel that God is answering all of our requests. And he said, so God, let me take away those things that you've given him and then we'll see how much he worships you. And God, he, he took his protection off him. So here's a point in time where God is not the one who did the things to Job, but he didn't protect him anymore. He withheld his power. Now when you look at the world around us and and, and you all know, I've talked about it a lot. We had a lot of people in the pathway class last week. When I talk about salvation, I talk about ideas that God, some people believe that God chooses who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. I don't believe that. It can be taught in Scripture correctly. Uh, I believe that God gives everybody the opportunity to go to heaven. I also don't believe that God makes everything happen in this world. That everything that, that we choose to do, God made us do. Or since he allowed us to do it, it's what he wanted. I don't think that's necessarily true because there are a whole lot of bad things I've done that God didn't want. All right, There are a lot of bad things that I've done that that wasn't in God's plan. God didn't want that for me. He wanted other things. And so here with Job is one of those few times because Satan isn't everywhere all the time. He can't be out there making every bad thing happen to us. And quite frankly, most bad things that happen to us are a result of our own choices or the results of other people's choices that affect us, right? I mean, most of the really dumb things that I've done in life are the things that bring me the most trouble. 
but they're my dumb things. I can't blame them on Satan. I can't blame them on anybody else. I can just I can go, whoa, they tempted me, and they put that temptation in front of me, or they made me want to be lazy. Well, no, I do a good job of making me want to be lazy. And I do a good job of falling into temptation. It's really not their fault. It's not. And so here's one of those few times where I do believe in God's providence. I do believe that sometimes in your life and in my life that God makes things happen, that God puts people in the place they need to be. I believe that God will will protect us. Sometimes we need protection supernaturally. I believe in all those things. But here is one of those times where Satan truly did come down and make horrible things happen to Job. And God could have stopped it, but he didn't. He didn't. So we know that to be true, that Satan isn't all-powerful. God can stop him, and then sometimes God doesn't. And that's a harsh reality for believers to accept at times, is that God is not going to make every bad thing in our life disappear. Not only is he not going to make it disappear, he's not going to keep bad things from always happening. And when they do happen, he's not going to solve them immediately. Not all the time, sometimes yes. Pray for them, absolutely, and sometimes God does. Sometimes he doesn't. And the question is, is are you okay with him on both days? That was what Satan was trying to prove was false, is that believers in God would not stay faithful to him when God wasn't protecting or providing. And so, what happened? Job's family, they were attacked. All of his livestock and everything else was killed. There was a fire that burned up a lot of his sheep and even the shepherds. Um, There are uh, family members that were all getting together in a house And a tornado came, and it it just crushed in the house and killed his family. And in all of this, when it happened, Job was absolutely devastated. But he said words that I cannot imagine me having the strength to say in that moment. In verse 20, it says, Job stood up and tore his robe in grief. Then he shaved his head and fell to the ground to worship. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb, and I'll be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not sin by blaming God, which is amazing. Because I've been mad at God for much, much less. I've told God that he's unfair for much, much less than what happened to Job. I've withheld my worship of God for much smaller things than what Job endured here. And you may have too. When we see this, and we see that kind of faith, you understand why God mentioned how upstanding and how righteous of a man that Job was. Not that he was perfect. And even as good as, good as Job was, he didn't you know, earn his way into heaven or anything else because he's still not perfect. But man, that kind of faith is amazing. And in Job chapter 2, Satan was unhappy with the result. So he went back to God and he said, Well, I took everything away, but you know, you didn't let me do anything bad physically to him. And so, Satan then in verse 7, it says, He left the Lord's presence and he struck Job with terrible boils from head to foot. He scraped his skin with a piece of broken pottery as he sat among the ashes. And so, now Job was physically hurt and physically scarring himself, just trying to get the pain to go away. And in verse 9, 
His wife said to him, are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. But Job replied, you talk like a foolish woman. Should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? So in all this, Job said nothing wrong. I mean, just two amazing things. Number one, his faith. And number two, the, the lack of kind of support and encouragement from his wife. Although his wife may be looking at the situation like we would and say, you really have nothing left. You have nothing left and you absolutely have no reason to say anything good about God. So just curse him right now. Let him kill you and you'd be better off. You'd just be better off dead. And trust me, in chapter 3, Job starts saying that. In chapter 3, Job starts going down a long list, cursing the day he was born. He says in verse 1 of chapter 3, he cursed the day of his birth. He said, let the day of my birth be erased and the night I was conceived. In verse 3. Now down in verse 4 it says, Let that day be turned to darkness. Let it be lost even to God on high, and let no light shine on it. Down in verse 23 he even says, Why is life given to those with no future, those God has surrounded with difficulties? I cannot eat for sighing. My groans pour out like water. What I always feared has happened to me. What I dreaded has come true. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest. Only trouble comes. And I've felt like this on days. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. Maybe you haven't had a bad enough stretch or a hard enough thing happen to you where you are throwing your hands up and angry at God and just saying, I don't want to go on anymore. You know, I just, I just can't wake up tomorrow and do this all over again. I'm just tired of having to fight every day of my life, waking up and dealing with the stress dealing with the strain, and no matter what I do, i got to wake up the next day, do it all over again. It's just not worth it. Maybe you hear Job's wife, and you say, she didn't have a bad idea. I mean, we've talked here about depression before, and we've talked about suicide and other things, and it's that cycle that we get in, and that rut that we get in that we can't feel like we can escape from, where we don't feel like there's an answer for us. And being stuck there and not seeking help, not asking others to, to, to speak encouragement into your life, not asking others to help pull you out of that rut of despair, that what's, that's what leads us and keeps us in depression, and it's what leads people to suicide. And for Job, a man like this, to have gone through what he went through, I mean, for him to say, I wish I was never born, I, I can't blame him for feeling so hurt. I can't blame him for feeling such despair. But even still then, he told his wife, you are foolish. Do we really only expect good things to happen to us and nothing bad? Now, the one thing that Job did in seeing this, and the one thing that his wife did, and the one thing that his friends will talk about here in a second did, is they always referred to it as God was doing this to him. Yet, God did none of it. God did none of it. But since God didn't stop bad things from happening, in their mind, just like in our mind, we blame him and we hold him accountable. I mean, he's God. He could have made life better. He could have made life easier. 
He could have answered my prayers right away. He could have given me the same advantages other people had. He could have taken away the hurt that was put on me that other people haven't had to deal with. He could have made me more successful. I put in just as much effort as someone else did. They were successful. I wasn't. I mean, he could have led me to relationships that, that encourage and lift me up instead of relationships that have torn me down. I mean, in all those things, it's all these, all these other influences that are actually acting upon us, but it's God sometimes that we turn to and blame. And it shakes our belief, or at least, it's not that his wife didn't believe. It sure took away any feeling that she should still be worshiping God or hold devotion to him. Guess what? Next Sunday and the next and the next two after that, we're going to talk about some great stories, right? Where you come out of that and you're like, well, of course I'd believe in God. I mean, God saved these guys from a fiery furnace. God protected the nation of Israel. God defeated Israel's enemies in amazing supernatural ways. Of course I would believe in God. But will we believe when God doesn't use his power to do what we want? Will he believe then? You know, if you keep going through the book of Job, and you can, if you never read it, read it sometime. From verse chapters 4 through, I think, all the way through like 31, you're going to get a constant refrain of Job's friends not being good friends. Now, for the first seven days, they knocked it out of the park. All right, Job had three friends come in, and it says for seven days, they just sat with him. There wasn't all this discussion going on or anything else. They just sat with him. He was mourning. He was stunned. He was just completely dumbfounded. And they didn't try to figure out what to say. And guess what? Sometimes people don't need us to figure out what to say because we really can't fix things. But they were there. They were present. And a lot of times that's what we need or others need most. And so they knocked it out of the park, and then they started opening their mouths, and it all went downhill. So take that lesson, all right? Read those 30 chapters and learn that. Be there for people when they're hurting, and as soon as you open your mouth, you may mess things up. All right? And they started saying, Job, you must have done this. Job, you shouldn't complain so much. Job, you're for you know chapters 3 and 4 and, and 5, you're complaining all this way too much. You shouldn't be saying that. And then Job answered in Job chapter 6, verse 5, Don't I have the right to complain? Don't wild donkeys bray when they find no grass? And oxen bellow when they have no food. And yeah, absolutely, Job had a right to complain. And God didn't stop him. When Job was complaining and Job was hurting and Job was lashing out and, 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 and just you know braying like a donkey, God didn't stop him. And God never condemned him for it either. Read to the end of the book. God never condemned him for it. His friends did, but God didn't. But then his friends kept saying, you surely must have unconfessed sin. If God's allowing these bad things to happen, then surely you did something to deserve it. Job, just admit your sin. Just tell God what you've done. Just admit it to everybody else, and and it'll all be okay. And Job kept fighting for his innocence. He kept telling them that he had not sinned. And it just made him even more angry at them and angry at God. And then he started asking. He wanted a mediator. He wished that there was someone in heaven who could get God's ear and stop God. In Job chapter 9 and verse 32, he said, God is not immortal like me, so I cannot argue with him or take him to trial. If only there were a mediator between us, someone who could bring us together. The mediator could make God stop beating me. 
and I would no longer live in terror of his punishment. Even though this wasn't punishment from God and it wasn't God doing it, God had simply not protected him. But Job felt that way, and I get it. And he said in verse 35, Then I could speak to him without fear, but I cannot do that on my own strength. He at least knew that he couldn't stop God, and he had no real right, ability, or authority to challenge God, but he wished there was somebody that was. He wishes there was somebody other than God that had enough power to stop God. Start getting into dangerous territory there. A little bit dangerous. Chapter 10, Job begins questioning God. He begins accusing him of being unfair. And then jump in the third friend. And uh, the third friend's name is Zophar. And he tells Job that you can't comprehend God's ways, which is true. But then he continues on the false assumption that Job deserved this and caused this. And they kept beating that drum and saying, Job, you deserve this. This is something that you must have done. Your life must have brought this on yourself. And Job just kept getting so mad and so frustrated that he not only started defending himself against them, but he started accusing God of being unfair. He was fed up with them in chapter 12. He, he said to them, you know, you people really know everything, don't you? And when you die, wisdom will die with you. And in Job 19, then he starts saying, he says, even if I have sinned in verse 4, that is my concern, not yours. You think you're better than I am, using my humiliation as evidence of my sin. But it is God who has wronged me. Right? I haven't wronged God. It is God who has wronged me, capturing me in his net. I cry out, help, but no one answers. And then he ends, I protest, but there is no justice. So I haven't wronged God. God has wronged me. I am not getting justice. All this back and forth went on for chapters and chapters and chapters. I don't know if it was hours. I don't know if it was days. To me, it sounds like either an exceptionally long day or possibly multiple days of this back and forth. I mean, at some point, it's like, guys, first seven days, great, go on home. Go on home. But at the end of it, Job was emphatically saying, I don't deserve this. God did this to me. I didn't offend God. God is not giving me justice. There was a fourth guy, and he wasn't Job's close friend, apparently. He was younger than all of them, younger than Job, younger than the other three. And so he had kept his mouth shut, and he had had enough. He had really had enough of Job's three friends, and he had also had enough of Job too. He read them all the right acts. I mean, you can read it's like three chapters of just constantly saying, you need to listen to what I say. And then like yelling at him for a second and then saying it again. You need to listen to what I say. And then yelling at him some more. Telling his friends how wrong they were. Telling them how far off that they were. But then saying, Job, you are not behaving the way you need to towards an almighty God. And in Job chapter 35, Elihu said, Do you think it is right for you to claim that I am righteous before God? For you also ask, what's in it for me? What's the use of living a righteous life? You know, that idea that, God, I'm righteous. I didn't do anything to offend you. You're the one offending me. And then if it's going to be like this, God, then what is the use of living a righteous life? I've said those things. 
All right? I have personally, in anger at God and in times of depression and frustration, I've said those things. And I'm like, if I'm doing all this for you, God, and you're not going to help me more than this, if you're not going to help me get past my difficulties, if you're not going to remove some obstacles out of my way, then what's the use? I completely understand how Job is feeling. But Elihu keeps going in verse 13. He says, but it is wrong to say God doesn't listen, to say that the Almighty isn't concerned. You say you can't see him, but he will bring justice if you will only wait. Which I know there's four-letter words that you're not supposed to say, but to me it's that four-letter word, wait. Right? That's the word in the English language I hate more than almost anything else. Wait. I've got an answer for you, but wait. You can get started doing this, but wait. There's something that, that that's all going to be fixed at some point, but wait. And the problem is, is that sometimes God expects us to wait until this life is over and we receive the new life in glory. And we receive a home in heaven. When justice is truly met out for every person, it's taken for every individual, and God's justice is done, and those who have not accepted Him as Savior don't receive His mercy, and those that have trusted in Him as Savior actually don't receive justice. See, we cry our entire lives for God to give us justice, but the truth of Christianity is that it's all centered around the fact that we're asking God to not give us what we deserve. Because as believers in God, we do not deserve to go to heaven. As anyone born into this earth and born into this world, we do not deserve to go to heaven. Not even Job, not as great as Job was. And is Job, is he correct in saying that I don't deserve this? Well, in some sense of the form, the way we would look at it, Job hadn't done anything necessarily that would say he deserves that kind of harshness. But he doesn't deserve to be protected from everything bad either. And God gave mankind a chance, and they lived in perfection where God did protect them from everything, except he allowed temptation to occur. Mankind fell into it, and then here we are. And if any of you think and say, well, that's not fair either, God. Just because Adam and Eve messed up, all the rest of us shouldn't have to pay for it. Well, trust me, if it was Jeremy and Jessica, we would have messed up too. You know, if it was any of you there instead of Adam and Eve, y'all would have messed up. It, we can't hold God accountable for the fact that we choose to sin. And he does protect us, and he does say that he is a God of ultimate justice. And not only that, more importantly, he's a God of mercy. mercy. And if you will trust in him as Savior, you'll never even get justice. Because he won't punish you the way that you deserve. He'll forgive you only the way that God can through his son, Jesus Christ. And so, Job complained that God wasn't giving him justice. And Elihu told him, you're wrong for questioning the justice of God. He, he, you know, complained that bad people lived good lives and good things happened to them. They're not being judged the same as I am. And Elihu told him, you're too, far too worried about other people's lives and comparing your own and saying that you deserve the same. That, that's not how life works. And for worrying about what God's timing is and, and why. 
Finally, in Job 38, God speaks. Now remember, God had allowed Job to mourn, to cry, to question, to rail against him, to say that he wishes he had never been born, to do all of these things, and God never spoke out. It wasn't until the point when Job was finally out of his frustration. I mean, his wife had said, it's not even worth believing in God if this is what life is going to be like. And Job had given into that by the end a little bit. His friends were accusing him so much of being unrighteous, he started saying, I'm so righteous, I don't deserve this from God. God's being unfair. And it wasn't until he started questioning God's justice and and God being in control that God spoke up. And in Job 38, there's like three chapters here, 38, 39, 40, 41 even, where God just lays it out. And in verse 1, it says of Job 38, Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind, Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man, because I have some questions for you. And you must answer them. I mean, how would you like to hear that from God, right? How, what ignorant words you're speaking, and man up, because here it's coming. And here we see the first time in the Bible, or the first time in human history that Someone was told to, you know, get ready because here it comes. I mean, we had gaslighting for about 20 chapters with his friends saying, you know, you're crazy, you're a sinner, you just don't know it. Everything you know about your life is false, right? And Job started thinking he was crazy and started getting mad at God. And he started railing against God, and God said, that's enough. Brace yourself because I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. In verse 4, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? I mean, he starts off strong, right? You must answer these. So where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundations and who laid its cornerstone as the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? And then you can just keep reading where God talks about keeping the sea inside as he gave birth to water and setting its foundations as he created the oceans, about dividing day and night, about creating weather patterns and and making all of that work together, about creating all of the animal kingdom and all of their habits and making nature and and the earth and everything else fit together in in the way that we see it, about doing all of those things, setting up life cycles, and, and he does all of that before he even starts talking about his own righteousness or his own judgment. And there are places here that God is talking that people even think about or or possibly talking about anything from dinosaurs to dragons, the the Leviathan and other creatures that God says, you can't control these. No man can control them, just just me. And so whether it's talking about things we don't have anymore, whether it's talking about things that that just, uh, I'm not going to try and wrestle an alligator myself. Um, But, uh, you know, God's saying, can you do any of this? And Job's answer in verse 42, and he tried to answer God multiple times, right? You know, it's like whenever I'm getting on to my, my son, he tries to jump in and say, sorry, real fast. Why? So dad will quit, right? I did that to my parents too, right? I'm telling Luke, and I'm, get, I'm giving him a full explanation of what he's done wrong. I'm sorry, dad. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And it's like he's wanting me to stop. Job does that like three times, wanting God to stop. And God's like, nope, I got more questions. I want answers. And Job replied to the Lord in Job 42, in verse 2, I know that you can do anything, and no one can stop you. 
You asked, who is it that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I. And I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things far too wonderful for me. And then verse 6, he said, I take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. So here's the question. Man, when God shows his power and his greatness, it would be easy for us to believe, right? It'd be easy for us to follow. When God makes life good, if it's like Job chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, and about how everything's great, God's protection, everything's working out, it'd be easy for us to say, you are the almighty God. I repent for, for what I've said. I am sorry, Lord. But when things are bad, when it feels like the God is no longer protecting us, when bad things are happening and it feels like God isn't answering our prayers, and he may not be answering our prayers, and it may be because he has a reason for it, or it may just be because, guess what? God's not put here to just serve us and do what we need. But God has put his son here that at the end we won't receive his judgment, but we can receive his mercy And everything will be taken care of. And see, Job understood that. Even after everything he had gone through, even after all he had experienced, even though the power of God was not helping him at this moment, he understood that God is God, I am not. And I'm going to believe and worship in him no matter what. Now, he could have cursed God and died right there, right? That's what his wife told him to do. That's what a lot of us would have said, good idea. He could have been mad at God. He could have kept going with his accusation saying, Okay, God, I know that you say, yeah, I can't form the world, but why is this happening to me and not them? Why are you being unfair to me? I don't deserve this. He could have gone down all that list of stuff, but instead he worshiped God and he took back everything and he showed his spirit of repentance. And then it goes on and God restored Job after that. Restore Job, it says that he gave him twice as much as he ever had before. God railed on his friends, by the way. God really went after the three friends as well. And actually, Job prayed for his friends. And he said, through all of this, God said, Job didn't say anything wrong about me. He started getting there, and that's when I stepped in. He started questioning me and everything else, but he didn't say anything factually incorrect about me. But y'all guys did. And so through all of that pain, through all of that suffering, through all of that open frustration, God still praised Job. And then he did restore him. He got back with his family and they celebrated after that. And you could say things were better, but Job still had a lot of loss to deal with, right? For the rest of his life. Still had hard things. You know, faith is a tough thing. I got a couple of things I want to share as we close. James chapter 5 and verse 11 talks about Job and it says, We give great honor to those who endure suffering. For instance, you know a lot about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end, for the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. And then in verse 13, he says, Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. More or less, wherever you're at in life, what's the answer of what you should do? Talk with God. Things are bad, you pray. Things are good, you praise. 
But no matter where you are in your life, what you should do is to keep that relationship between you and God open and talk with him. Prayer, praise, combination of the two, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where you are in your life. It doesn't matter what is happening. Our response to God should be to talk to him. Some days are going to be bad enough that you're talking to him like Job chapter 10. All right? Some days are going to be that bad. Some of the people around you aren't going to be encouraging you, and it's going to be about like Job chapter 12. There's going to be days that your talk isn't great, but you keep talking to God through prayer. You keep praising him. Job, even in some of the worst times, still says that God is almighty and powerful, even in those chapters where he was complaining. That's what James says that we should have the attitude of. Man, that is hard. I wrap up in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. It tells us about faith. It's that verse we share a lot, that faith shows the reality of what we hope for is the evidence of things we cannot see. The next four weeks, we're going to talk about power. We're going to talk about things you can see. The greatness of God in front of our face. And man, on those days, it's easy. It's easy to worship him. It's easy to praise him. It's easy to think great things about him. But how about today? On a day where God's power is withheld because that's not what he's here for. He's not here to fix everything now. He's here to provide mercy for eternity. As our worship team comes forward and we prepare for a time of response, I just want to ask you that. That's a hard question, but it's one we need to answer. I started here, I thought about, do I do this sermon at the beginning or do I do it at the end? And I just thought, I'm a Band-Aid rip kind of guy, you know. It's like, I could talk for four weeks about how easy it is to believe in God and see his power and see how great and wonderful it is. I want to challenge all of us right now. Today, will you still worship him the same on a day when he's parting the Red Sea, when a pillar of fire is, is protecting you from an army, when he's causing earthquakes, Will you still worship him today when God is still being silent the same way you would then? That's hard. It's hard to do, but it's what we're called to do. And for Job, he stayed strong. I can't imagine the kind of resolve and strength of faith that man had. I can't. Because I, I don't want to put myself in that situation, obviously. But I also don't want to because I think I'd fail. I'm worried I would. Because, man, I, I've... I've faced much less. But whatever you're facing, whatever difficulties you deal with, they're your difficulties. They're the hardest thing you have to face, right? I tell people like that all the time, and I felt bad before, right, when I say, well, other people are dealing with much worse than I am. Yeah, but my hardship is my hardship. It's what I'm dealing with. It's the worst thing I've got, and I want God to take it away just as bad. God doesn't always answer right away. But like that fourth friend said, God's justice will come. We just have to wait. And while we wait, are we willing to still praise him? Are we willing to still praise praise him and pray to him and tell God that we still think he's wonderful? Let's stand up as we worship together. If you're here and you struggle with the idea of faith, about trusting in God no matter what, and if you've never trusted in his son, Jesus Christ, if that concept's been hard for you to accept, I would love to talk to you about that this morning. I'm going to be standing up here worshiping with you. You can just come and talk to me now or catch me afterwards. But whatever you're struggling with, don't do it alone. Like I said, getting caught in that rut of depression or despair and we stay there, that's not where God wants us. It's not where you want to be either. 
reach out and find God for help and then accept it from those that he's put around you. Thank you for listening. We invite you to take some next steps this week. One, what voices of doubt are you allowing to not trust in what you know to be true? Find the strength to respond with truth instead of letting them be a drain on your emotions. Two, if you have real doubts, ask for resources to help answer those this week. Three, find someone who is struggling and let them hear a voice of encouragement and truth. For more information about small groups, Pathway Kids, or anything Pathway related, contact us at pathwaybaptist.com connect.